Welcome to another episode of Beyond Sermons, where we seek Jesus Christ beyond the pulpit. We're going to continue with our discussion on eternal security, but from a Calvinistic perspective with Jeff Laird. Next one, Romans chapter 11, verses 19 to 23. All right, this is going to be a little lengthy. All right. It says, well, you may say those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember... Those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear of what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again, for God has the power to graft them back into the tree, period. So um, what are your thoughts on that very lengthy scripture? Um, I'm more than happy to read bits and pieces of it if you need me to. Yeah, I, I think, again, context is important. Uh, Paul is giving an explanation of how the nation of Israel fits into God's plan of salvation. And he's basically answering the question of, did God abandon Israel? In other words, he's answering the question of, did God just take all of Israel and throw them away? And now he's doing something else. And what Paul is basically saying is, yes, there's a rejection involved, but that rejection is because those people rejected Christ. It's not because God is just saying, no, the entire nation of Israel is now gone, and I no longer care about them and honor them. It says that they didn't believe, and that's why they've been moved aside to make room symbolically, not you know in a literal gardening sense, for you to be there. And I think that when you look at it in that same context, how he's talking about Israel and the way that they coordinate, he's making the same warning which he's saying that God's patience with you in this life actually is limited. Right. You know, God isn't literally just going to do absolutely nothing, no matter what you say or do. Uh, There will be consequences and you need to be prepared for that. But he's also reminding them, don't be arrogant about the Jewish people because any Jewish person who comes to faith is just as much a Christian as you are because you have the same faith. So Jews and Gentiles are... Some are represented in this scripture. Is that the proper context? I think he's speaking to he's speaking to people specifically because of their faith in Christ. And again, he's he's having a lot of conversation about faith and works and so on and so forth. In other words, I think it's important to remember that the analogy that Paul's making in Romans is corporate. Okay. In other words, he's speaking about groups and groups, and okay. and you know, giving analogies for the way that these things work. I don't think that he's fine-tuning it down to uh, to that nuanced of a level. Now, I'm going to press a little bit because Gentiles is a group. Jews are also as a group. Right. Yeah. So, does that still apply equally to both groups? Yeah, and that's, that's part of what he's saying is that, look, you know, has God rejected the people? No, he hasn't rejected them. And he goes on and he says, I'm, I'm a Jewish person. I'm a tribe of Benjamin and all these other things in the first part of that but he's saying that it was necessary in a sense for the jewish people as a group as a nation to stumble in a sense 
so that that message of faith could be taken to the entire world. What Paul is saying is that just because they stumbled, just because that they fell as a group overall in rejecting Christ doesn't mean that those people cannot be grafted back in. He says, you are saved by your faith in Christ. They can be saved by their faith of Christ. I think it's verse 23. Even if they if they don't continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in again. Mm. In other words, if they're if if they continue in their unbelief, they're cut off. But that can be remedied. That can be fixed. I recently spoke to a Jew- Jewish person who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, but they believe in God. Is eternal security the same for both parties? Me as well as for that Jew who doesn't believe in Jesus. I think the way to look at that is to is to look at the question of what was the faith in in the Old Testament. Uh, I think God only holds us responsible for what we know and for what he showed us. I don't think if you went back in time and asked Abraham, you know, hey, tell me exactly how all these promises are going to shake out. I'm sure he had his guesses and he had his ideas. I'm, I'm willing to bet it didn't look anything like the New Testament. Now, I'm going to throw a little bit more. Head. Yeah, I'm going to throw a little bit more context on that. The person yes. that the Jewish person I spoke to, I spoke to them last week, and this was part of the conversation that they don't believe in Jesus. Right. Does eternal security How do I talk to them about eternal security? I think it's a question of just of of, of knowing knowing that you have to have faith in what Christ wants. In other words, if that person sincerely is believing that Jesus Christ is not the Messiah, then that person is rejecting what the God of the Old Testament has intended as the completion of their faith. He promises a Messiah. Jeremiah talks about, I will establish a new covenant with the people. He says that. The book of Hebrews chapter 8 talks about God said he was going to establish a new covenant, and then he did establish a new covenant. In other words, just like, imagine if a person, for example, in Israel was to say, I don't want to hear anything about these Ten Commandments. I don't accept the Ten Commandments. I believe in the God of Abraham, and I believe in the God of Isaac, but I don't accept the Ten Commandments. Well, that person's not accepting God. Just because the information is more complete doesn't mean they're allowed to say, well, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing in the past. So eternal security is not a question of, are you just cooperating with any plan anywhere at any time? It's, are you in submissive faith to God with the information that you've been given. A a Jewish person living today has that information. And if they're going to reject Jesus, they're rejecting God. Yeah. Now, you also mentioned how, you know, the Jewish follows or the Ten Commandments is, you know, like epitome. But there's also Isaiah 53, I believe. Is that a chapter that's just filled with all sorts of details about, um, prophetic details about Jesus? Right. Um. Is it considered unbelief if they ignore that chapter or maybe even edit that out of, you know, their scrolls or their Bibles or, you know, whatever, you know, respectful book that uh, represents God's word to the Jewish community? Yeah, I think I think what often happens is more that the, the Jewish community has a tendency to gloss over that chapter. Yeah. Not necessarily to literally delete it. I'm I'm sure somebody somewhere does. Yeah. But it's more just a question of of sort of choosing to turn a little bit of a blind eye to that. I think that gets to Romans chapter one. It talks about, you know, God has made himself plain 
to the world. Like yeah. starting from the basics, God's put enough evidence that the reason that people don't pursue it is because they suppress what they can see. John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to Pharisees, and at one point he says, you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but you refuse to come to me. In other words, the problem is not that the information is not there or that they can't access it. It's that they are deliberately choosing not to follow through on it. So, yes, I would say that if if you have those kinds of prophetic uh, passages and information and you're making some sort of conscious choice to twist them or set them aside or not take them seriously, that is part of the choice that a person's making to not seek, knock, ask that God wants us to. Right. Okay. Next scripture, Luke. Yeah. Luke chapter 15, verse 24. It says here, But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Now, yes. I know you hinted at this um, a couple of, I don't know, questions ago or verses ago. Yeah. Um, but if we could dig a little deeper, um, it says specifically he was lost, but now yes. he is fine. Um, sorry, he is found. Right. Is that an essence of losing salvation? Also, too, he was dead and was returned to life. Is that another instance essence of losing salvation or even restoration from a quote-unquote lost salvation yeah i think again we're we're talking about the context we're talking about what what the specific message is that's being given in uh in the circumstances so the parables that jesus gives before this have a theme he talks about lost sheep and a, a shepherd going to look for lost sheep he talks about a lost coin and somebody going to seek it. And then he talks about this lost son. And the theme that's in those is mostly about the idea that when something is of value to you, you make an effort to, to find it and bring it back. And when you get it, it makes you happy and that there's, there's joy involved in that. So you see that the shepherd goes out and seeks the sheep. He's glad when he finds it. The, the woman looks for the lost coin. She finds it. She's happy. The dad is looking for, he's watching from a distance. And when the son comes back, he's glad of that. So I think that if we try to dig down too far and say, well, you know, for example, eternal security, I don't think that this speaks to the idea of the son losing salvation in the sense that the focus of the story is in the idea that even though he's turned aside, even though he's rejecting God, God is still seeking, God is still hoping God, well, hoping is not a good word for God, but you understand where we're coming from, that God is passionately interested in restoring that relationship. So when he says he was lost, but now he's found, if we want to get really specific, we can say, okay, it says that, but it doesn't say he was found and then I lost him and now he's found again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I yeah. think if we try to drill down too, too hard, then we start to lose the sense of what's What's happening here? I think another good analogy might be the issue of Adam and Eve, for example. In other words, salvation implies a rescue from something. So I don't think that this son went from lost or from saved to lost to saved. He went from 
unfallen to fallen to saved. In other words, to be saved implies being rescued from something. And when he sinned, when he turned away from his father, when he went and did his own thing, that was his falling. That was his sin that took him away. This concludes another episode of Beyond Sermons, where we seek Jesus Christ beyond the pulpit. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support, please visit beyondsermons.com to rate and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. God bless and be blessed to be a blessing.